Welcome to Brainstorium. I'm Anna Tissard, award-winning dream punk and deeply weird fantasy author. And yes, that's me and my fiction that's deeply weird. Explore and imagine with me the most unexpected story ideas using the surrealist word game of Exquisite Corpse. Find out more and join in at anatizard.com. This is a storytelling challenge unlike anything you've tried before. Hello, imaginative people. I'm Anna Tizard and this is episode 47 of Brainstorium. It's also the Dream Punk special. The reason for this is there's a new Dream Punk anthology which is out now. And in the first part of the show, I'll talk a little bit about that and what Dream Punk actually means. To continue this theme, I'm also, tentatively of course, going to look out for any Dream Punk interpretations that I can make of the Exquisite Corpse word games today. This is a slightly scary thing to do because I cannot predict what words and phrases may emerge from the socks of destiny as I pull them at random. But let's just say I will aim to try and find at least one dream punk interpretation, okay? Story brainstorms are challenging anyway, so why not just throw in an extra twist and see if it can work just once? Right, on with the show. First up, the new release. You may already know about Mirror Maze, a dream punk anthology published by Fractured Mirror Publishing and edited by Cliff Jones Jr. It's a collection of short stories from over 20 different authors, including yours truly. Well, the new release, Somniscope, A Dream Punk Convergence, is a follow-up collection of even more dream punk stories, again from the same publisher and with Cliff Jones Jr. once more as the editor. In fact, when asking the question, what is dream punk, you could do no better than to check out Cliff's own website at cliffjonesjr.com. He also has a page which can be found rather intuitively at whatisdreampunk.com. Broadly speaking, Dreampunk is about dreams and altered states of consciousness, and Cliff sums it up as a trippy subgenre of speculative fiction focused on dreamlike states and their interaction with consensus reality. It often overlaps with cyberpunk, Jungian psychology, mysticism, and dream-related technology, where dreaming or an altered state of consciousness plays an important role in the story and may raise existential questions about what is reality. So while the genre might be new to you, there are plenty of examples Cliff gives on this webpage, including Alice in Wonderland, which kind of seems obvious when you think about it, Um, sci-fi writer Philip K. Dick and The Matrix. So it's a lot less niche than you might think and quite far-reaching. Stephen R. Brandt, one of the co-authors of Somniscope, 
described the new anthology as a blender for reality, a whirlwind for your mind, a kaleidoscope for your soul. And just to throw in one last quotation, in an article Cliff Jones Jr. wrote called his Dream Punk Manifesto, there was one particular point that really resonated with me, but also gave, gave me that sort of whirlwind sensation Stephen R. Brandt was talking about. He says, dreaming is to story as thought is to language, as mind is to matter. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, I've always been fascinated by the mind-body connection or the mind-body question, which goes back to my days of studying psychology. And I think this is the kind of curiosity that I'm stirring up when I sit down to write a dream punk story or to read one. Because mind and matter are inextricable in this life anyway. I can promise you the stories in Somniscope are strange, unsettling, even disorientating at times. My own contribution is a story called The Secret Undoing, and it's about an auditor for the government in a slightly futuristic setting. While going through the accounts, our auditor comes across some dodgy looking figures. But when he tries to report the anomaly that he's found, He's taken to a dream clinician who is going to help him bury the secret information that's now in his head. This dream clinician puts him into a, hip, a hypnotic state and he goes down through various layers of his unconscious mind to deliberately lose the information, to bury it somewhere so deep in his mind that he'll never remember it. But of course it isn't going to go exactly to plan. So do look out for Somniscope when you next go book browsing um, and explore Cliff Jones Jr.'s website and check out some of the co-authors as well. Details of the book are also on my other fiction page next to the Book of Exquisite Corpse. The cover design is wild. Right, time to get on with today's story brainstorms. But will there be any dream punk ideas we can pull out and play with? There's only one way to find out. Bring forth the socks of destiny. That's right. Regular listeners will know that Exquisite Corpse mixes words together to form a sentence structure that goes describing word, noun, action, describing word, noun. So it will make grammatical sense, even if any other kind of sense, will be a challenge. <laughs> but that's what I like. I like a challenge on this show. So our first describing word is from Paul Thomas, one of our top contributors. Thank you, Paul. Visionary. Ooh. Interesting. It feels, feels a bit dream punk already. So from our noun sock... There's a word from anonymous, firefighter. Okay, let's try for an action. See what this is all about. This is from Fraser Armitage, the sci-fi writer. 
forgot to check in with. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speculate until I've got the whole exquisite corpse. So we have another describing word from anonymous again. Leaky. <laughs> All right, final word. Make it a good one. This is again from Anonymous. I do, I definitely have at least two, possibly at least three Anonymous people sending words to me. I know this for a fact. Headache is the word. Okay. <laughs> right, I'm going to read the entire Exquisite Corpse and I'm going to try and make sense of this. So the visionary firefighter forgot to check in with the leaky headache. Hmm. I have to ask first, what is a leaky headache? It makes me think of pain spreading, the way an ache might pulse or beat, so it seems to leak further than just your head, travelling down your neck or, or your shoulders maybe. But why would anyone need to check in with a leaky headache? Unless this is our dream punk story of the day already. I'm thinking that if someone is put into a deep sleep or hypnosis, possibly even against their will, the one thing that might help remind them that their body in the real world is still there, still living, is in pain, physical pain. The headache is his anchor, a sensation that even while he's trapped in a dream world, that pain beats on in the background, reminding him that his body is elsewhere. But the whole exquisite corpse is the visionary firefighter forgot to check in with the leaky headache. Forgot to check in. Does that mean that the pain finally subsides? Or that the dreamer simply forgets to cling to that sensation. So he's lost in mind space, wherever that is. Who put him there? And what kind of firefighting is this? Visionary firefighting? So it might not be literal firefighting. In fact, this is the part that really sounds dream punk. They're fighting the vision of a fire, maybe. Hmm... For some reason, my mind keeps darting back to a story idea in the last show, episode 46, where all the passengers on a plane fell into a gas-induced sleep and they each had a vision of the plane crashing. The pilot was the only person who managed to get her oxygen mask on just in time, but for a fleeting moment, she had that same vision of the jungle where the plane had crashed before it actually happened. What if we were to switch characters now and go into the mind of one of the passengers who is deep in their dream, which is coming true, by the way, even as they dream it, but they've hit their head during the crash and it's this headache that keeps a part of them tethered to this reality. Just enough to understand that what they are witnessing is a dream, and yet more than a dream. Because this 
passenger meets and is able to talk to the commercial pilot as she stumbles through the undergrowth looking for water and some sign of, of where exactly they are. The sleeping passenger might appear as a ghost to her. The conversation they have might unlock some vital information about how this all came about and who might have concocted such a bizarre plan and why. This is the beginning of something, for sure. As a discovery writer, I'd want to jump straight in and start writing it without knowing the answers, only knowing the questions that I have. For the answers will emerge from my own unconscious mind, as if in a waking dream. Well, if that wasn't dream punk enough for you, let's try again. Okay. I for describing word. This is from bird underscore Murphy. Fastidious. Okay. What or who was fastidious? We have a noun from Paul Thomas. Spectre. <laughs> okay, we have an exacting ghost. Let's try for an action word. This is from Niall. Chopped down a tree with. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> okay. I'm not gonna judge, I'm just gonna keep going. We need another describing word. And this one is from Niall again, two in a row. Disordered. Okay, not sure I want to chop down a tree with anything that's disordered. Sounds a bit dangerous, but let's see, our final word is from Anonymous. Horse. Okay, I'm going to read the entire Exquisite Corpse. I think it's going to be a tricky one. The fastidious spectre chopped down a tree with the disordered horse. Whoa, okay. This is a really tough one. I think, I think I'm going to have to have some tea first. What do you reckon? It's been brewing for a little while now, so getting pretty dry. Let's give this a bit of a stir. Right. <laughs> How do you chop down a tree with a horse? By getting it to chew on the trunk? This seems unlikely and a disordered horse on top of that. Consider the fact that this is a ghost who's instructing the horse to cut down a tree and this is making less sense by the minute. So I'm going to step away from the bit that doesn't make sense yet and explore the bits I'm quite intrigued by, which is a fastidious spectre, a ghost who's very particular, fussy about accuracy and detail, possibly even about cleanliness and order. 
Oh, but that's the opposite of disordered, as in the disordered horse. Okay, so having used the pause button a lot on this one, the idea that's coming to me is based on this opposites idea, since we have opposites on either side of the exquisite corpse. The opposite kind of a ghost to a fastidious one, a disordered ghost, is surely a poltergeist. The epitome of disorder among ghosts. And this has made me think, (laughs) bear with me, this has made me think about a college or a university for ghosts learning to haunt. For those who haven't quite reached the pearly gates, there are the iron college gates or school gates, an academic or educational institution for testing your newfound skills as a ghost. Can you haunt? How well? Can you make it as a poltergeist in this world? Why would you want to? I'm not sure. This feels like it could be a comedy for a fastidious, newly dead character to find herself at the gates and discover they are not pearly and that she has to go through a whole new education system. (laughs) Maybe, being fastidious, she might enjoy the prospect of going through schooling again, except that now she must learn to throw stuff around, which does not work with her character at all. While this idea sounds utterly silly, There's an underlying question here that could deepen the story and add tension and a sense of danger. Why have certain people been prevented from passing on properly to heaven or or whatever it is that lies beyond this life and instead have arrived at this bizarre institution? And what is it there for? Who is behind this? Who wants to teach these disturbing tools that horrify living human beings? What for? That could be a big question in the plot and it might become the character's mission to find out once she's struggled with her own individual issues with having to go through this bizarre schooling. So returning to the exquisite corpse, the fastidious spectre chopped down a tree with the disordered horse. This could simply be an exercise in haunting that goes wrong. A class of trainee poltergeists are given farm animals to practice on. And our fastidious protagonist, who is the most reluctant student of all, sends her poor horse galloping around in circles, then biting at a young sapling until it breaks. Who knows what the original purpose of of the class was, but it's gone wrong for her. She's then punished for her lack of control, thrown into a dungeon. And perhaps that's where she finds a much older ghost, a university dropout who never quite managed to leave the building, who picked up some skill for haunting along the way, and who tells her some more disturbing stories about what's gone on at this poltergeist university. The plot thickens as our fastidious spectre 
decides to investigate who is running this place and why. Do they have plans to frighten living humans into submission so they can take over? (laughs) This is getting weirder and weirder by the minute. But hey, if you use big tropes like a sympathetic, flawed protagonist facing a great injustice, uncovering a mystery that affects other people too, and thereby discovering a worthy quest. You have a story with potential. It's all about how you fill in those outlines and maybe stray outside of them a little to create some unexpected twists, if you're like me and you feel the need to do this. (laughs) Because this isn't twisty enough. I quite like that one in the end. It totally stumped me in the beginning, but after a bit of brain squeezing, I managed to get somewhere. Okay, maybe the green tea works. Perhaps I'll have another sip. Right, our third and final exquisite corpse. Okay, our first word is from Alessandro Bozzo, bilious. Ooh, we have someone spiteful and bad-tempered in our midst. I'm sure that's not you, Alessandro. (laughs) Right, who inspired you to write that word? Our next word is from Paul Thomas, ledge. (laughs) Okay, Is this going to be a tricky one? Our action is from Robin the Mail Lady. Gave a furtive glance towards. Right. Next word is from Fraser Armitage. Banal. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) From bilious to banal. Our final word, the exquisite corpse, is, again, from Fraser Armitage. We've had lots of twos in a row. Herald. Okay. Herald has quite a few potential meanings, actually. Um, It can be an official, um, well, an official employed to oversee state ceremonies. Um, It also makes me think of armorial symbols, like a design on a shield um, or a war banner that's distinctive to a particular nation or people. And herald can also mean a sign of something that's about to happen. Um, And you can also use it as a verb like that. So you can say the the daffodils herald the spring, if I can pronounce daffodils. Um, But let's just... (laughs) I'm jumping ahead of myself here because just the word herald just kind of struck me as an unusual word I haven't seen for a while. I had to think about what it means. So the entire, the entire exquisite corpse is the bilious ledge gave a furtive glance towards the banal herald. Oh my, this is, um, this is another tricky one, but we will get there. I will find something in this. 
bilious ledge. That reminds me of the devious parapet that came up in another show. It was episode 41, which turned into a story about a three-headed dog trying to escape his post as guardian of the underworld, naturally. Um, This was inspired by other parts of the Exquisite Corpse, I promise you, but it's the devious parapet that sticks out to me. And it's, yeah, it seems like a similar thing, a bilious ledge. I mean, the, the devious parapet was part of a bridge in, in the story I told on in number 41, part of a bridge that gave way while the dog was hiding underneath it and it caused another character to fall off the bridge and ultimately become a part of the dog's journey. So again, rather than try to build an actual character from a ledge, which would be truly bonkers, I'm thinking more about who is leaning on this ledge is a window ledge and giving a furtive glance because the bilious ledge gave a furtive glance towards the banal herald. Furtive feels suspicious but we also have bilious to play with if we want to. So what's what's suspicious about a banal herald? The fact that it's boring too plain in a culture of highly decorative heralds, I guess. This brings me back to the idea of opposites. Looking not just at what a character or thing is described to be, but at why that may be notable, might differentiate them from those that surround them, that are different to them. Like the fastidious ghost, We simply need to put her in a situation where it's difficult to be fastidious, where no one else around her is fussy or careful about details. So the plainness of this particular herald must be significant, notable in some way, to try and build a story around it. It makes us look beyond the thing itself to its surroundings by thinking like this, and Consider the things that it's being compared to. Right now, that's an invisible landscape. But as writers, this is how. This is what we create. I think I see what's going on here. Troops are arriving at the castle, preparing for war. In three days' time, the armies of 20 or more strongholds across these lands will march out together in force against an evil adversary. This particular castle, though it's not the largest or the best able to cope with so many numbers, is furthest east and closest to the plains where the battle is going to take place. From a turret, an off-duty guard leans over a ledge to watch the streams of armies pouring through through the front gates listening to the chorus of boots trudging in unison. Brightly coloured banners snap in the wind. Heralds with decorative emblems, their colours stitched with deep-dyed threads. A dragon eating its tail, a unicorn battling a stag, a speckled owl, its wings outstretched in flight. So many different strongholds, 
some which our God has never heard of. For a hundred years or more, the lords and kings across these lands have argued and battled, carving up different sections, always trying to claim more, and new lords and self-made kings have sprung up over the last decades. It's difficult to keep up with. But now they prepare to ride together, united in a truce against a far worse enemy than ever imagined before. The guard narrows his eyes. Does the king even know all these other kings? What's this? A banner that's nothing but a spiral spiked with thorn-like edges around its centre. Hardly elaborate, not exactly colourful. Which kingdom does it herald? The guard sighs, taps his fingers against the stone ledge. Surely the king has advisers who've made it their business to account for all these different strongholds, who they are. Each army has to pass through a checkpoint before they get to the portcullis. But in a situation like this, when you don't know, what can you do but trust your neighbour who's willing to join their strength with yours? Three days they'll be under one roof together, replenishing supplies and waiting for the last of the armies to arrive. Anything can happen in three days. The enemy could creep in, in disguise, infiltrate the whole operation, find a way to change the plans, poison the food, kill everyone in their sleep. But not if someone stops them in their tracks. A furtive glance is all we have to begin with. So many exquisite corpses are treated as a single moment, a starting point, often the beginning of a story. But what happens in this one all depends, I think, on whether the guard follows up on his suspicions on this fake herald, an emblem that was clearly thrown together in a hurry to cover up the real identity of the bearer. If, instead of raising an alarm, the guard keeps a close eye on them, watches them for any other sign of ill will or awkwardness, but why? Why would he hesitate to raise a warning or at least tell someone who's close to the king? What if our main character is not a guard at all? Too young to fight, too young to command any respect from those with authority in the castle. What if he is a she, a young girl or even an old woman? who spots something no one else has noticed. And that's why no one else will listen to her. They'll just call her a gossip or worse, because this world, this castle, is a male-dominated culture. Maybe she tries. She tells her husband or a brother, but they don't take her seriously. So she has no choice but to sneak around after the intruders, trying to catch them out and foil their plans. I can't help but wonder, how could you turn this into a dream punk story? Maybe our protagonist is in fact a witch. Some are actually frightened of her, of her visions and uncanny way of predicting the future, although they'd never admit it and instead 
avoid her and call her names, but only behind her back. If you're foolish enough to upset her, she has ways of getting to you, of messing with your mind. She is a dream witch. She can go into a deep state of meditation and enter a dream world, a layer of reality where she can reach the minds of other people. And you definitely don't want her knocking on the doors of your dreams. But when she sees the banal herald and suspects the army that's carrying it, this is her best chance at finding out who they are and what they're really up to, to trespass on their dreams. They might be planning to cause disruption, even death tonight, but today they're exhausted from their journey and then after the feast, they're full of food, so they cannot help but give in to the sleep that first night of their arrival. They're thinking, there's plenty of time. We have three whole days. These fools have let us in. We're already inside. We can take our time. But what they don't expect is the dream witch. Unlike them, she is well rested. When nighttime comes, and she settles down to close her eyes, it is not for her own sleep, but for other people's. The mind space she enters is a stairwell going down, down. Each door she passes is the entry to a sleeping mind. She knows how to recognise her loved one's doors as she has marked them on her many journeys that she's taken before. So many minds sleep tonight within these stone walls. Tonight, it's a veritable labyrinth of stairs, twisting in more directions than she's ever seen. How will she find the army with the suspicious herald? She can sniff out treachery as easily as a nightmare. One by one, she will find them out, prick their conscience, and send them shivering into a nightmare so horrific they will run from the chamber, screaming their confessions. Well, that was pretty weird. It was pretty dream punk as well. So I hope you enjoyed the story brainstorms today and that I've inspired you to think about how dreams or the mind-body connection might add a new existential twist to whatever story you're writing or thinking about writing. Until next time, go forth and be inspired. I hope you enjoyed today's brainstorium. You can find out more about Exquisite Corpse and my series, The Book of Exquisite Corpse, at anatizard.com. Subscribe to my e-newsletter and you'll get volume one for free. And while you're there, why not submit a few words to the Socks of Destiny on my play page? You may inspire me or inspire yourself to write a unique new story. See you next time.